Hi everyone and welcome to episode 2 of an Inside View podcast. I hope you all enjoyed our first episode with Irish Rugby International, Catherine Dane. If you haven't got an opportunity to listen to it yet, be, please do go back and check it out. Also, if any of you would like to get in touch with the podcast, if you have any stories of being part of a team, whether it's a sports team or a corporate team, please do let us know. We'd love to, to hear all uh, all these stories and don't worry, your names will be kept anonymous. So, how do you get in contact with the podcast? Well, we're on all social media platforms or you can email us info at ontheballteambuilding.com It's now time to bring on this week's guest, he's the journalist and columnist with the Irish Times, and he is an analyst and co-presenter on Airsport. During his time as a student, he won National Press Student Journalist of the Year Award, and in 2018, he was included in the Sport for Business, 30 Under 30 Leaders of the Future. On the football field, he represented his beloved Patrick Pierce's and was part of the team for the club's first senior county final win in 2019 in Roscommon. He also represented his county at underage, but injuries and career commitments dampened his progression. In order to continue playing what he loves, Gaelic football, and to be able to focus more on his career, he has decided to switch allegiances to Dublin club Nafina. He's also part of the TG Cahar series Underdogs, in 2018, which we will cover this and much more once we get him on. I'm delighted to welcome this week's guest, Eamon Dunhill. Uh, Eamon, how are you keeping? How are you surviving lockdown? And are you still doing a bit of training on your own? I'm, I'm good, Jamie. Um, yeah, training away. Uh, I think the training is keeping me, is keeping me sane. Um, I was down at Common for the whole lockdown, so I was at home and Luckily enough, um, there's kind of loads of open spaces there. So even when the restrictions got really tight, I was still able to get out and, and get running. And I have a pitch quite close to me, um, a community centre, so it has goals. And yeah, I was able to get out and keep keep the body moving and work on the skills and stuff. Um, and as of yesterday, I've come up to Dublin because I have a bit of um, a bit of work I have to do up here for a few days, and then I'll be back down to back down to Roscommon. So yeah, it's been it's been it's been interesting and it's been tough in certain ways, but. Um, Definitely find that the active, physical activity and a bit of football has kept me uh, kept me taking along. Good, very good. Um, and are you are, are you uh, how are you finding training on your own? Like, are you doing Zoom calls or or how are you, how are you kind of keep in touch with the management? Um, well, at the start, we were getting a program, and I think there was initially everyone thought that it was only going to be a small, a short term thing, and then. Yeah, like uh, we were get we had a program running program and we were very close to championship. Um, I'm playing with Nafina in Dublin and we championship in April and we'd done a heavy preseason and we were in a good enough place physically. We'd had injuries and there's a lot of lads involved with Dublin, but um, we were in a good place and yeah. So it was, they were just worried we were going to lose fitness. So they gave us kind of quite a detailed program with like a lot of days, a lot of training. Everyone was doing that and putting it into the WhatsApp group and um. And yeah, and then I suppose we started then decided to take a few weeks away from each other just because it seemed like it was going to go on for a while. And now the players have kind of taken their own responsibility and there's a lot of Zoom meetings and stuff. But partially because when I was on Roscommon, I had, had very little coverage. And also because I've been working the whole way through, um, you know, my work hasn't changed at all other than I've been remotely. Um, so I haven't been able to access a lot of them. But like, it wouldn't be for me, like, to be honest. I don't really like the nature of it. Um, 
I love I've loved training and I've loved working on. I actually think it's been a great opportunity to work on specific stuff, like especially skill set and stuff like that. Um, and I've liked I've enjoyed doing that. Um, where the whole thing of you know going in a Zoom meeting, yeah, it doesn't appeal to me. If anything, I actually think the whole Zoom, uh, the whole attachment to these Zoom training sessions and WhatsApp messages and even if you go down to the park you see more lads running than you see lads kicking ball it's just kind of indicative of the way the game has gone um like what an opportunity to practice your skills without any pressure of a season coming on top of you and lads are still running themselves into the ground um with like shuttle runs that have very little science behind them or yeah, just zoom. It doesn't make much sense to me, so I'm not. I'm not uh, prescribing to it anyway. Like, but as I said, I do my own bit of training, and everyone has, you know, everyone has their own thing that suits them. And I'm sure some lads just kind of can't stand training on their own, so the zoom stuff is very beneficial. So the fact that it's there is great. Very good. Yeah, it's, I suppose it just really depends, you know, whether whether it works for you or, or it doesn't. But uh, it's um, you were saying there, you you joined. Nafina, um, but you you don't have a Dublin accent, so you you you're you're from uh, Roscommon originally. Uh, tell us why why you moved up to Nafina. Yeah, so I I came up to to Dublin. I I started in DCU nearly ten years ago now, um, and then since I've been in since I started in DCU, I've I've been in Dublin. Um, so yeah, and I've I've essentially lived on the north side for the whole time. In around Drumcondra, I lived in Whitehall for a while. I did a little stint, kind of more central, but I've always been uh, pretty much in the in the Nafina um, boundaries. Like my little nephew lives up here with my sister, and like he plays for Nafina, and he's only a little kid, like but he's he's down there in the little camps and and that, and um, like I would go kicking in Nafina in the pitch. So yeah, I've just a lot of time of traveling up and down and traveling up and down. Um, it's actually when I was younger, um, when I was kind of with Roscommon 21 squads and, and, and that, it was actually easier because you get bus, a bus will pick you up and you get fed. And, but when you're doing it on your own, it's, it's, it's very hard. Um, and especially with work, I just found it very difficult. Some years I was able to commit more than others. And last year, I um, was lucky enough that we won the first club championship with my home club, Pierce's first club championship ever. Um, which was huge. Like we've been knocking on the door for so long and lost so many finals, and um, and that was brilliant. So kind of it took the pressure off, I suppose, of any guilt of leaving. And then at the same time, last year was probably the beginning of the year. I was probably playing the best football I played since I was very young, and uh, I completely ruptured my medial ligament. Like I was very well to get back and feature it all in the championship. Like, but um, it just created a situation whereby I needed to. I needed to be at training beforehand. I needed to be preparing beforehand. And like with the nature of my job, I finish work and I'd be rushing into a car, driving down the road, and then I'd literally be in the car park finishing off a deadline and running onto the pitch and training. So I, I just couldn't do that and, and get my rehab and stuff like that. So it just made sense that, um, and now up in Dublin, I can li- I can cycle down to training. You know, it's it's brilliant. Like it's it's my, for my body it doesn't know itself like. So um, it was a decision I kind of had to make and it was just the right time. It was something I'd wanted to do for a long time and hadn't really felt like I was able to. So, um, yeah, I'm very happy with it. Um, that said, I only got one league game before all of this pandemic uh, crack happened. Uh, but look, hopefully it'll, uh, hopefully it'll come around again towards the end of the year, if not next year. But we'll, uh, we'll touch on that point in a minute. Um, 
how did you find moving to Fina? Did you find it, you know, much different than, we say, your home club? Um, I know you came from a rural club and coming to one of the biggest clubs in 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 the country. You know, do you feel a bit lost, or is there still that close camaraderie there, even though you're effectively an outsider? It's it's a strange one. Like, I I my club Pierce is in at home is a rural club, but we're a huge we're three huge parishes. Like, so we're we're a big club like um you know we always yeah we're always you know very strong like geez we have a very strong 25 26 um but then when you bring that into the fina they've about five adult men teams and their second team plays their second team won the intermediate championship in dublin about two years ago like so um like there's a squad there there's an actual squad and like you know there's players are fighting to get into that senior squad. Like, so it becomes almost like an inter-county setup. And then you have, so then in training, you don't really have anyone who's weak in terms of fitness or anything like that. So in my club at home, you'd always have lads to make up the numbers. And then you'd also have lads who are playing, you know, an important part of the squad, like, but they're not going to be playing. Like they'll be playing for the second or third team. But they're just a training with the first, with, with everyone. And then you'd also have lads who'd be good footballers, but they just wouldn't be fit. Where in Nafina, there's no one who's not fit. So the training session becomes almost like county training in that, you know, I always felt like when you train with club, even if you've been held for a few points the night before, you could always finish in the middle like you'd be grand. And if you wanted to push it hard, it'd be the same sometimes as you had strong lads in the county. But in Nafina, it's, it's the same. If, you, if you're off it, you'll be, down the, you'll be fairly down the back. The standard is, is high, especially with fitness. Um, professionalism is just off the charts, different level compared to I'd actually say um like I've I've had a few um periods in with, with um county senior and I've played all county underage and it's the most professional setup I've been in by far like um lads the player responsibility um for themselves even like turn up for training early and we had nutritionists we read a lot of things um that was just really well organized um and I think that's the case for a lot of the clubs up in Dublin and lads just take themselves, take it very seriously. But I, I think the main reason for that is because of, as I was saying, in that when you take away that travel, it means that lads can, lads can be a training early. You know, lads aren't rushing across the city to be a training. Like I used to, I used to say there, I got, I'd go to a training session in Athena now on a Wednesday night, and like you get something out of training. But if you went home to Roscommon, lads would be nearly patting you in the back for turning up for training because you've bursted out of Dublin and they're saying, geez, fair play to you, you're a great lad. And so you're just turning there and you're half asleep and you're trying to get through it and then you're plowing back down the road. Where, so how can you bring in a professional sense there because it's the most unprofessional thing, senseless-like. Um, so, so in terms of that, that's the big difference. And I think that transcends into the county squad. Like when you see how if it's given me an eye-opener into why Dublin are so strong. I think it's those, those uh, six inches at the top. And then the big, the big downside in Dublin is that, geez, there's a huge shortage of pitches. Like you, I've trained in some amount of pitches. I got my club trained in the same pitch every. We had our own grounds, like, and I we have our own. I I haven't played a match yet in the FEMA. and you know the tra- we've trained out the back a few times, and they've got fantastic facilities. But like, there's just so many clubs teams in the club, and with lights and everyone fighting for it. You're, there's just a clamor for pitches all the time. It's mad. It's madness, and we're not the only one. It seems to be every club. Like we got onto an astroturf somewhere, and we finished our session, and there's a could be Oliver Plunkett's coming in training after us. Like, so they're nowhere near, we're nowhere near each other. Ever get. So, yeah, that, that's been a big opener. I think that's the biggest struggle from what I'm seeing for our teams up here. But um, 
yeah, it's very different. And, and there's definitely a close-knit community, yeah. The lads are all, the lads are all very close. But um, I think Nafina have, have a good reputation for that anyway. Um, it's kind of a very, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good club, like, traditionally always has been. Very good. That's good to hear that, uh, you know, if you, if you move up from a rural setting that you're, you're not really lost. The lads are very down to earth and they're helpful. Um, before you, you won the county championship in Roscommon, you did the underdog series uh, with TJ Cahar and it was what really brought, we say, Kieran Donahue and Pierce O'Neill to the, you know, to the, to the county um, manager's eyes at the time. Uh, why did you apply for it or why did you decide you should go for it or um, what was your takeaway, Smith? Would you advise anyone to to take part in it going forward? I know, albeit it's, it's supposed to be finished now, but if it was, going ahead. Um, yeah, well, it was kind of a twofold for me because I had the media side of it. It was good for me is, you know, I, get, I, I had a diary on it um, it was in the Irish Times and kind of the experience and had that every week and um yeah it was just you know I I I work in I do different bits in TV as well so it was just good experience for that and good exposure for it um it was just a really good experience in itself and then for the football side of things um yeah it was just an opportunity to kind of to like I I watched that when I was very when I was young as well and um yeah like it it was an opportunity and I kind of had with myself with football I kind of had to walk away from football when it was kind of everything in my life when I was younger because I just put my career ahead of it and journalism is a very kind of consuming career and um I was lucky enough to get some breaks in it when I was when I was quite young and I just took them ran with it um and then when I wanted to try and get back into football um yeah I, I'd lost a few years and um that was kind of an opportunity to put your face back out there I suppose for for county teams and stuff like that and, and in that that sense, it did because I I kind of got a bit of an opportunity, and then I had the injury, which which was unfortunate. But it it, it definitely put my face back out there, and um, yeah, and just the experience in itself, and the top coaches, and like they brought in, yeah, we had like different types of analysis and went away on different camps, and we had different types of training in, and yeah, we got a lot of really high end stuff that like county teams get, and we got to experience that, and we got to play against county team and play against a lot of top club teams, and. That was all very good. Um, in terms of advising lads to do it, the downsides to it was the actual organising of the, the actual fixture, first of all, itself. Like, we two or three of our best players couldn't play because it completely clashed with like club semi finals and finals. Um, a lot of lads dropped off along the way because I know that I had issues with my club manager overdoing it. Um, like, it clashed with the club championship. Like, it was. It was on, it's on at a ridiculous time. Like I, I, I don't understand why they're doing it, why they have it at that time. Um, the amount of players that you know that could have could have went for it or could have stuck with it, um, and they didn't. So like yeah, it, we we didn't get our strongest team out, and that was frustrating. Um, yeah, that was very frustrating. And so in terms of football sense, I know that a lot of the lads came away from it. We still have a WhatsApp group, still very close. And I got, I definitely got the two things I wanted out of it in terms of putting my face out of football and wise and exposure. But we were all very, a lot of the lads were very frustrated in how it, um, in how that it unfolded basically, um, in terms of just the football and wise. And we got a good hammer from Dublin, like, and we shouldn't have been playing Dublin, like, we should have been playing at, you know, uh, 
a Division Three team or something like that, and it should have been on at a time where we could have got the team that we'd been developing all the way through, and given us a better chance. Like, but a good few lads, you know, Fintan Cooney uh, was in with Galway. Um, he played in the league against Dublin after that, and he ended up dislocating his shoulder from one of myself. Then he was undone with injury. Um, hopefully, he'd get back in again. And we also had Nigel Rabbit was in with Longford. He played in the league and he featured in championship last year off the back of it. Um, their fullback got a run with um, Dublin after it. He got a trial with Dublin. And Niall Cannon was in with Sligo last year. Um, and Colin Flynn was asked in with Longford. He was our captain for it. And he was in with them for a while, but then he transferred down to Briefy in Mayo because he's, he's getting married and had a child. Like, so, yeah, a good few lads actually end up getting a bit of um, inter-county tryouts for it. But, yeah, I definitely love the experience. Do you think there is a place for that program in the GA? You know, I know it's not supposed to be going ahead now, we say this year, but do you think there is a place for it? It shouldn't be scrapped completely? Yeah, no, I don't think it should be scrapped completely. I think they could I think there's a brilliant place for it. I, I Sonia Sullivan is a columnist for us in the Irish Times and she uh she was in the office talking to me about it and she says they have a similar show in Australia called The Recruit where it's a similar thing, but only one player comes out and wins it, and he ends up getting a contract with the Aussie Rules team, and it's a huge show over there. And Yeah, I think like there was massive interest in that. The amount of people, like at times it felt like, because TV isn't what it was, like um, in terms of like everyone's watching series now on social media, and it's not like, say when the old one was out, everyone was watching it, because you only had your few stations to watch. And like at times, I kind of felt like it, was there how many people watching it? But then, geez, the amount of people who commented on it to me. So it was very popular. Um, and yeah, I think it, it, it could have, if they, if they did it right um, with more interest in football, I think they'd actually get more out of it. Um, so yeah, just to learn those kind of lessons, lessons from it. Um, but they're trying to do their best to try and keep the interest in it. They obviously, um, you know, their, their budgets or whatever, and they've got to try and get the show on the road and get enough people into it. So they're trying to get the best teams and best time of the year and the best slot. But sometimes, yeah, if they could just make a few allowances, it would get more interest in the long run because people would respect it a, a bit more in terms of as a football entity rather than kind of as entertainment um, or trying to balance the two. But yeah, I definitely think it has a, has a role in the future and similar shows. So there's not enough football stuff on television at all. Like, so there's no Gaelic football stuff on television. No, um, no, there's no like decent, really good chat show. There's no analysis show. There's no like fun show. Like there's not, there's not none. Uh, there's nothing like it at all. Like um, so a few things have come and gone. Um, shows have come and gone, but no. So anything that is there, I wouldn't be taking it away. I'd be trying to add to it. Very good, very good. Um, I suppose just moving over the the fact you're a you're a Rossi man. Um, the Connacht Championship. Would you say it, it's predominantly a three-horse race, or would it, you know, I suppose you could say Mayo and Galway, but Ross Common are always thereabouts, and they are very competitive. Um, do you think there's a place, there is still a place for New York and London in the championship? Um, I, I, actually li- I actually lived in London from uh, three until I was 13. So, um, yeah, and the first ever Gaelic match I went to was Ross Common against London. Um, in Rystep so yeah and like I always thought it was kind of a cool element to like the fact that London had a team and, and I spent a lot of time a lot of summers in New York um, my next girlfriend of mine used to live in New York so I used to go over there quite a bit 
And I have a good friend who who lived there, um, Neil Collins, who plays for us commons, was a fashion designer there. So I've spent a lot of time there with him. And yeah, it's it's a you know, it's it's a big part of the community over there. Um and it's just a cool element to the GA, which is I definitely think they could they could push more um international element to it. But it's very difficult. Again, the more the same as that underdog thing, you're trying to promote promote the games, which they're trying to do as best as they can, but like bringing in big names and having a big match. Same way the underdogs are trying to promote the games by playing the best team and by having it on at a particular time. Yet what's happening is that they're getting hammered then by Galway and Mayo and Roscommon especially. And the homegrown players aren't getting enough of a chance because they're bringing in big names every year. Where if they were to to put out all the home... Like, it's just trying to get that balance is very hard. Um, maybe a situation whereby... If they just played against Sligo and Leeds from now at this stage, the way the game has gone, um, yeah, the other teams, the gap is just gone there now. Like you know, even me now going down to watch was coming against Leeds from. So there's, geez, I remember playing against Leeds from. Like you'd be terrified of Leeds from if they got going at all. Like hardy as hell, and they got going, they just don't know how to give up. Like, and you'd be trying to quash them early, and but like, and that used to follow through to senior. But the way the standards are and the setups are and professionalism it just doesn't happen anymore like Sligo uh, Leitrim don't have a chance against Wisconsin anymore that's just the reality of it maybe a cycle will come again or whatever but at the moment that's the way it is um, and New York pushed Wisconsin like there is the chance a stomach bug or whatever it was to happen to Wisconsin that time or you get caught with jet lag or you know there is other variables but realistically I, I think New York should be I didn't think they should get an opportunity in London but it should be against Sligo and Leitrim I know, I know some lads who are from New York for good players and like they're planning on going back, playing with New York the years that they're playing Sligo and Leitrim, like because they just think it's a waste of time, like playing yeah. baseball. You know, you know, they put all this training into it. But um, yeah, and the kind of championship definitely is dangerous. The three, the three teams, um, and there's an interesting dynamic to it um, with those three because sometimes it is only a two horse race. Like Source Common have definitely come up to it, and it means it means an awful lot to Source Common to win the kind of championship where I think Mayo. I'm always thinking all Ireland now, like so that's why they're there for the taking in Connacht and Galway are very strong, but they kind of flatter the disease, so they can always be caught. Like so, it is an interest. It is one of the most um, competitive provinces, I think. But the uh, the New York and London angle definitely definitely can be worked on. It definitely can. They can definitely make some changes to it. Small changes, I think, would make a big difference there. Um, so yeah, and, and they'll object to that and say, look, it's the game against Galway that brings everyone in, or it's the game against Mayo that brings all these fans over, or whatever. But like, you've just got to start to make certain concessions, like because it's no good to anyone getting absolutely hammered. True, exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's very demoralising. And I had uh, Shane Hogan of of New York on a couple weeks ago on Instagram Live, and like, it's the, the how important it is to the Irish community there. You can, you know, if you're over there. For a kind of championship game, you can experience that yourself. It's it's everything for the Irish community over there, and it, I definitely think it could be worked on more so. Um, but again, like you said, it's about getting the balance right. I suppose on on that point with Ross Common, um, it took a carry man to bring you to the next level. Uh, so what what's what's your feeling around the you know transfer of players between counties, um, and do you think that could be an opportunity going forward? For the GA. Yeah, well, I think the outright um, transfers, like now, I don't, I, 
like outright transfer where there's no link at all and someone just goes somewhere purely, I think is wrong. But like Connor's father is from Roscommon and like um, he's a relative of Nigel and Ian. Like, so um, Nigel was manager of us, Roscommon under 21s, and his Nigel's younger brother Christy is my age. So I played with him, he was on our minor squad and on our 16 squad. So like I, I just remember them saying that they had a cousin, Connor Cox. I, I, I'd known about him all the way through, and when he was in the Sigerson, played with Nal Daly. And, Nal Daly had said that he was family was from Roscommon, so I always knew there was a link there, and it had been mentioned a couple of times. Um, you know that that could possibly happen, and then it happened all of a sudden. Um, I know that last year, last year when I was in Roscommon at the beginning of the year, there was a, there was there was a couple of lads who were in from other counties, and uh, Connor. Yeah, there's no complaints with Connor Cox because he's such a good player and he he's proved it. Um, you know his worth. But, you know, another player coming in who's maybe not as good or just as good or maybe only a little bit better than a lad from who's lived in the county and played all the time, yeah, you're, you're going to have a lot of, a lot of um, angry lads if, if they're getting in ahead of them. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that's been the case too much. I know that Jonathan Beelan came down to from Dublin down to Wexford, but his family lived down in Wexford. Um, he played minor with them. And there's a few Dublin lads that went down to Wicklow and Offaly and, they just weren't getting a run in with, with Dublin and their families are from there. So I think that's grand. It's now if, if, if someone just goes, like it was happening there, where, say when Mikko was with Wicklow, wasn't he? They were bringing in random lads and um, I suppose the jo- Shawnee Johnson thing is well publicised and the different, ver- different views on that. But I think that if a lad has a link, absolutely go after playing county football, you know? Um, Absolutely, like you, you, people are training to play at the very top level. So any opportunity to play county football, um, take it. Um, if it was me, and you know, I, I'd I prefer to play for my own county. But if I didn't think that was possible, if I was from Dublin, and I didn't think that was possible, and I had an option somewhere else, I'd a hundred percent take it. So yeah, and I wouldn't hold it against anyone else. I would never hold anything against anyone just trying to to better themselves. Like you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um. I suppose, on, you know, to, to add on to that point, whether people want to accept it or not, I suppose there is a, a move towards professionalism in the GA. Players are, you know, committing their life 24-7 to the GA to play with their county. Do you think there's more of a, a shift towards professionalism in the GA, whether people want to accept it or not? What, what's your general feel around it? But just from reading between the lines, I think with Paul Flynn since he's come in, there seems to be a little bit more of a of a um, push towards that or a, a feeling towards that. Um, for me, growing up, I, it was always something that I had always hoped that there'd be professionalism in GA when I was younger, playing, thinking it'd be great if if it was a if it was there by the time you were older and and so on and so forth. But like, yeah, just the feasibility of it, I think, for smaller smaller counties and. Um, yeah, the, the GA is such a democratic, um, you know, association that it can be positive in some ways and negative in other ways. When it's so, when it is as democratic as it is, but like for something for a change like that to come true, it would have to be purely based on player power. And the thing about professionalism is, it's not going to suit everyone. Like it's not going to, not going to help the Carlow footballers, I know they've improved, so they're a bad example to give, but they're, I suppose, a traditional example to give. It's not going to help the Division 4 teams because, realistically, they're not going to make much money out of any kind of professional model that's there. And 
if anything, a lot of it teams it would be complete restructures like so um would they make anything out of it at all? Like so and then if you're looking for players across the board to vote on it, um it would be very hard because as I said, they can't see the GA making changes because they're so slow to change anything. So you'd want to have like overwhelming um support for it. Um but yeah, like in terms of the the structures and things that can be done for players, like there's so much more that can be done to help players' lives. Like I just think that the fixtures and the calendar and it's just a joke. Like like one positive that could come out of this is if we do have a, a season ran off now really quickly, you can just show how that you can have how you can run off a season very quickly. And like what I don't know what makes people in Crow Park seem to think that like play, people want to be playing football all year. Like you don't want to be playing football all year. You want to have a part of the season where you play your football. And there should be like the time that we've had there to practice your skills and to take time away and actually enjoy the game. This constant in season, like you're constantly in season, you can never really be in a full preseason. You're, it's just very difficult on players. Um, and then for count, the county, I suppose, is, in some ways, isn't as difficult. It, it has a bit more structure than, than club, but them lads then have to go back and play club, like so they never get a break, like university and everything. So I think there's a lot more that can be done, um, and that would make the, the whole situation a lot more professional. Um, in terms of going to a fully professional model. Um, I think there there would have to be something would have had to happen that would force that kind of a change. Um, you know, there would have I I don't know exactly what that would be, but I just don't think at the moment there'd be enough overwhelming support from the players for it. Fair enough. Um, yeah, it, it's it it seems to be kind of going that way. Um, and you know, like like you're saying, although. Probably you know, it won't go fully that way because the players mightn't mightn't support it. Like you're saying, like the you know, we say the lower level teams, what benefit would they get out of it? Um, unless there's a restructuring. But um, moving on, we say to that about, about player welfare. Um, do you, what do you think can be done now to improve player welfare? That we say this period has allowed a lot of teams and players kind of take a uh, you know a bit of time to themselves and you know, rejuvenate their body, you know, going forward, what do you think the GA can do using this opportunity to put players, you know, their welfare number one, like you're saying, their university, some players are playing university, some players are playing club, and some players are playing county, they could be out five, six, seven days a week. Yeah, well, I think that you need to, the, the, the more than say with this pandemic, they're saying, you know, club players have to come back first because, the club is where the majority of players are like so when you're dealing with anything you have to look at club first because it's where the majority of players are and I just think having a strong a structured club calendar whereby there's off-season pre-season and season like and and that runs and and, and that should be it like and, and so players then can have something definitive to commit to like I just think it's disgusting like like you're you're asking players to commit to something which is indefinite like that's the thing that's even to the absolute extreme at the moment, you know, and why I find it hard to, you know, do these Zoom calls or whatever, because the situation at the moment is completely indefinite. Like, we completely, we don't know when we're going to go back. So you're asking people to commit to Zoom calls or teams and stuff. It's, that's why the GA have asked teams to take a step back. But generally, all year, you're asking teams to commit to a season, which we don't know for sure the structure of. And... Yeah, it's just very, very unfair. Um, I have found that in Dublin, they kind of they do have a bit more of an outline on the structure and 
but it's it's staggered so long over the season. This year there seem to be quite a few league games during the summer, like but that just seems to be what to keep lads away from going away for the summer. And yeah, it's just such a long season for so few games. It's just a bit pointless. Like I, I'd rather have a time of the year where I could give everything to football and then the rest of the year prepare for that or be away from it. Like what they go back to like what on earth makes people think that we want to be playing football all year like? You know, just want to be playing football all year. Like, should, it takes away. That's not the case. And we definitely don't want to be, which is even more accurate. We don't want to be training all year. Like, Jesus, you're training there constantly. Like, training starts so early in the year and goes on and on. And if you count the amount of matches that are actually played, you know, it's 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 a mad commitment. So, um, yeah, I think they need to get a structure to the club season first and foremost, and then they need to condense it, condense everything. So, but it needs radical changes, like, you know, it needs completely radical changes. And it needs to be pushed by the players. Like, at the moment in, in, a, in Congress, like, the players are represented by one vote. The GPA, like, get one vote. So every player in the country gets the same vote as some county. Like, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like, so how are you going to have reflective change if you're not listening to your players? Um, and then the club players... Association aren't being included in that now. I think they still have kind of a lot of improvements to do in their in how they're set up. Um, but at the same time, how can you have that improvements when they're not being listened to or being properly respected? Like so, yeah, you need to listen to your players, and then you need to come up with a radical change to your structure. And when you have that, then everything else I think will start falling into place because there's money there and there's revenue. There's stuff there to, to put into to helping the players. It's just. The actual commitment. The amount of players every year that are walking away from county squads, from club squads, is mad. Like, it's just the fact that we take it for such granted because we have such a pool of players in the GA. Like, other sports wouldn't be able to get away with it. And the amount of players that we lose, um, it's, it's, it's completely mad. Like, and then the amount of players who are very good players and they're younger, and then they have to, you know, they played their best football at a young age. And yeah, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and it's, it's, it's not kind of a healthy, it's not a healthy relationship the players have with the game um, at club and county level. Yeah, it's, it definitely. Like, like on that point you said there that you know the powers that be need to start listening to the players, um, and un- until that happens, you know it, it's hard to see any change ever happening. Um, I suppose just you know continuing on from that point, do you feel the will it be clubs or county that will go back first? I know you mentioned the clubs. But why, why do you reckon clubs will be back first after this pandemic? I just think there'll be way too much pressure. Like people will go mad if county would come back first. Um, there's just so many people involved with clubs that, like, if you were to, if you were to run, it's like if you were to run county, like whichever gets ran first, you know, if something, if there was an outbreak, or if there was an issue, you know, you get a certain amount of it ran, and then it gets cut then you've got nothing like so I suppose if you start with county then you're you're leaving a chance that you might not get club at all so that's why they're starting with club or that's why they're likely to start with club because you know it's at least if they then they don't get any anything after that or things get bad as the winter comes on at least they'd have got the club championship in and um, there's way more people involved everyone can play it like so the county players can still play at the club um I just I really feel for I I, I know that like if I if I was involved in in a county squad this year for your first year and this happened like you'd be absolutely heartbroken like um, I know from talking to a few people 
that have been in that situation. Like it's just very hard you know, if you're working for years to get into this, and especially then for players who are a bit older. Um, but like at the same time, I think it'll add time to players' careers as well because they'll be a bit rested for a summer and the time to sort out injuries and stuff. But um, yeah, no, I think I think I think uh, club will definitely go back first. Um, I can't see it being. I can't see them quite meeting the deadlines that the government have made, but I, I do think it'll be back, and I don't think it'll be too far away. Perfect. Um, on I suppose just to continue on from the say player welfare, um, you know, as a journalist, there yeah, you get to you're obviously researching a lot of different sports and you know how, how each sport is played, etc. Um, I'm just want to ask you about concussion. Um, I came look. I suppose I, I did mention off air that. I did a bit of research on concussion before in, in Irish rugby and I did it kind of connected to the GA as well um, at times throughout the, the research. But one study there last year I, I came across recently was um, over 216 GA players uh, that were interviewed, two-thirds of them uh, admitted that they continued to play if they sustained the concussion um, and half of them wouldn't report it if it was, you know, before an important game, which that kind of coincides to my findings as well in, in the rugby side of things, that players are afraid to, you know, step away from, uh, if they do get concussed, to remove themselves from a game because, you know, they mightn't get that position again. They've been training so hard. Do you think there's enough knowledge around concussion in the GA? And do you think that, you know, we say, do you think there should be an, a random or neutral doctor at each of the say, inter-county games that will take away and take off that player? Yeah, um, I, I think the problem with the GA, I don't think the concussion is as bad as rugby because there's not as many instances of it. There's not as big a hit and there's not as much of it. I think that GA players don't think it's as big of an issue as rugby. I think they're not as worried about it, you know. I think rugby players now, even though a lot of them probably still would play on, and there's a, there's a, a kind of a, a mentality of you know let's get on with it still there in rugby, but they know that it's a problem, and like players now from a young age that get involved in rugby know that that's what they're signing up for. Where NGA, I don't think players would associate you know I'm playing now and I'm putting myself at risk again concussion. So um, so yeah, and 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 then they wouldn't if they did get it, they wouldn't have the fear of playing they, they wouldn't have the worry of you know what might happen when they play on and, and so on and so forth but I think that I've never had anyone teach me anything about concussion the training situation I've never had anything bad like the doctors who used to be involved Martin, Dr. Martin Daly was always the doctor in Roscommon um, and with the Roscommon teams and Martin would just come in for championship games and yeah, if there was anything wrong, in fairness, you'd be straight off. Like he wouldn't, he wouldn't be act, he wouldn't be taking any risks with it. Um, where I suppose a physio maybe who's involved with you all the time and they're seeing you all the time, they'd be like, they'd give you the benefit of the doubt if you were saying your grant. But um, yeah, like Connor Shanner and Roscommon, um, brilliant underage prospect. Um, Connor Murray is another one in Roscommon, um, brilliant underage prospect. Like probably two of the best underage midfield prospects we had in Roscommon. And both of them now have had to step away from the game because of concussion. Um, and it's just repetitive concussions, yeah. So I know both of them played rugby as well, but yeah, I just think that um yeah, like it, if you had a if you if you were training all year and you had that 
and you're weighing it up unless you know unless you're educated about how bad you know playing on can be for you and the side effects and how it can like down the line could end your career and how that it could affect your life in so many ways if you don't have all that to weigh up and you're making a decision between oh i might feel a bit sick and will i just play on this game which i've trained all year to make the team and play this match you're gonna play the match like so yeah they need there needs to be more education into it um in the ga like and um yeah, perhaps that is something they're bringing across with younger players I'm, I'm, I'm not involved in younger teams or anything like that but I never ever was never ever taught anything about concussion with a football team well it's just the again on that point like you're saying it's, it's the awareness and the knowledge at least if if players had the knowledge and awareness they'd be able to make their own decisions and their teammates might be able to identify you know if there was an issue as well um, I suppose Moving on from that point, uh, in an ideal world, we would have a championship this year and we still might have a championship, an All-Ireland championship. Uh, who do you think will, will win the All-Ireland or who do you think is close to toppling um, Dublin, whether it be this year or, or next year? Last year from the off, I was saying Kerry. I said it all the way through. Um, I said it before the All-Ireland final. I said it before the replay. So I fancied Kerry. Um, I just think that the young players they've got through have no fear and I think that they've just got some serious quality coming through um, and have the hunger and like if you look at Dublin now you know this won't, won't have helped like this pandemic won't have helped I suppose the cohesion of the team I suppose it gives them a bit more time but it won't have helped the cohesion of the team or anything um, but yeah it's definitely a two horse race between the two of them like Mayo I suppose are coming in Tyrone have improved Donegal have a lot of quality, but they don't seem to be consistent enough to, to beat Dublin. Tyrone don't seem to be good enough to beat Dublin. Mayo just seems to be falling short, and they don't seem to be getting better anyway. They seem to be going the other way. So it's definitely Kerry in Dublin. Um, I think it just, again, from being involved up here in Dublin and seeing the mindset of the players, um, it's very hard to see that mindset beaten. Like, mindset is so important. And, you know, you just think that when it goes into them, them crucial stages, like when they have the players who are, as, as a squad, and then especially the, the certain leaders they have, it's very hard to see them being beaten. Like, you'd want to be a lot, you'd want to have been a better team than them on the day by a good bit, like, because, you know, if it's close, they're going to, or even if you're a bit better than them, they're probably still going to beat you, like. So you're asking a lot then. Um, so at the moment, it's very hard to, to predict because you haven't seen the, even the, the latter stages, the, we didn't even get latter stages of the league. We didn't get to see them, you know, perhaps new players coming through, a, a kind of an outline of what the team was going to be. We didn't get to see early stages, championship, anything like that. But, like, I was starting to to um, to um think that Dublin, I was starting to think that Dublin were looking to reshape a bit and freshen up and still had enough. So if I had to put money on it, it's just saying Dublin, but Carrier, Carrier coming strong. It's only a matter of time until Kerry come and Kerry will have a grip on, on it. You'll be glad to hear I think Kerry will have a grip on it for a few years. You know, Clifford and O'Shea, like they're just they're such good players. I think we take it for granted there's so many good players now at the moment. People are asking, people who are going through the pandemic for saying, you know, putting on Twitter and stuff like naming the best players and your best team and stuff like that. There's so many brilliant footballers at the moment. Um, we kind of take it for granted, like, but generational talents. That's a good point, generational talents. And, you know, it really depends, you know, what era and generation you do look at these players. But 
definitely Clifford and O'Shea are, are at the, the top of the, the tree at the moment, you know, um, for, the, for their generation. I suppose just moving away from, from sports, uh, well, kind of from sports, the Icelandic clap, um, you did your research on that before, did you? Yeah, yeah, I, I did a piece on the Icelandic cap and the origins of it, and uh, yeah, went went and uh, article ended up being um, ended up going uh, going viral. So Icelandic clap they were using in the the, the European Championships with the fans. Um, so yeah, it was just interesting. Um, it's so far back now; I can't, can't even fully recall, recall the, the oranges of it. But like it was, it was one of those that you you wrote and you kind of knew that when you were writing it that it was gonna get a bit of interest but like geez I was getting interviewed by uh media from all sorts of countries and doing interviews about it um and it was being quoted and dragged across like so I had a lot of uh it's funny enough when you're writing pieces like that how they can uh how they can gather momentum if it just pick, appears and with maybe one person tweeting it or appears in one place and the Irish Times obviously has a big scope a big audience um so yeah it was an interesting interesting enough uh Article to write. Um, I suppose in, in, I should ask you this to start, but uh, what drew you into journalism? Why did you pick journalism? Um, it's a funny enough one. Uh, like when I started that journalism course, I feel like everyone in my course was all, geez, I think they'd all grown up, out, come out of the womb wanting to be journalists, like, and they all knew their favorite journalist was, and they'd all had their podcasts, and they'd all written in the summer with a local paper and they'd all come in with their newspapers and their their subscriptions and sure I didn't have any interest in any of that stuff. Um I I used I always loved writing like um like in school I was I was kind of I was strong academically and I loved sport but I did I didn't really like school. And one of the subjects which I did love was was English and I had a really good teacher, English teacher in the Maris College in Athlone, um Mr Malloy, Anthony Malloy and he was just a brilliant um, a brilliant teacher and I remember her, my dad saying to him in a parents teacher meeting that like what what are the jobs that Eamon might be able to get out of being good in English and well not even that, and that he liked it so much and suggesting journalism and at the time it was kind of the re- recession and he was just saying you know there's no jobs in journalism but that's how my dad said it back to me I don't know exactly what he said so kind of the idea wasn't really in my head but, but it kind of gone out of my head but it, it, it still was an option and when I was putting down my college courses, kind of wanted to go to DCU and I'd been, there'd been contact with DCU and there was the strongest football college and there was opportunities there for football scholarships. And, and then also I wanted a job that would be something that I liked in the English like route and also something that would be just handy to play football like. And that's all I really was thinking at, the same, at that time was to go on and play football. Like I didn't really care about anything else. And, uh, so I I put down like my first options I think English and history in uh in UCD and I had something similar in Trinity and I was thinking of maybe going on and doing lecture and or just seeing where it took me, um, and then I also had put down basically the rest of the thing which is as many DCU courses as possible and the top one I just put down I just put down journalism, and um I thought I'd get the other ones because I, I I was expecting to get the points and when I did my got my results I got the points and I was waiting for them to come true and uh and so I didn't get offered either the places in Trinity or UCD and so I had to ring them up and ask them what the crack was and because I had lived in England when I was younger they basically said that I needed to have Irish and I was like but I, I got an exemption from Irish 
And, uh, but it turns out that my exemption hadn't been put through in the school. So I had to wait a week and hope that my place would still be there. So this was kind of going on. Um, and I was with my mom at the time and she, she was, she's a big worrier. So she kept being like, you know, well, what if it doesn't like my attitude was like, you know, just wait a week, a week and I'll take the place. Like she was like, oh, I might be gone. I might be gone. What about journalism? And in that week, I just kind of started to think to myself, you know, this is actually something that I actually wanted to do. And it is actually something which I always thought of that would be cool. And I just kind of put it in my head and through her kind of worrying, you know, if you wish you might lose everything. I just said, fuck it. I'll just take uh, journalism. And the big draw was DCU. I just wanted to get into DCU as well, football. And I went in there and I started the course and uh, absolutely loved DCU. I couldn't say enough good things about the place. It's such a brilliant university. Sport was brilliant there. Um, just community ethos, how great everyone was there. I, I loved my time there. Um, but the courses wasn't, there was no sport in it, like. So when I started it, I didn't, I didn't think it was for me at all. I failed first year because I basically never went in. And uh, yeah, I just said after first year, I was like, I'll just give this a rattle. I'll just give it an absolute rattle and I'll see where it takes me. Um, and yeah, I just threw everything into it. And yeah, just, just um, worked my absolute socks off. And yeah, just started falling over with it, falling over with kind of the, the adrenaline of like making the deadlines, the kind of, yeah, it's just a very different nature of the job every day. Um, yeah, and you have your byline there. It's just kind of a nice, you know, achieve like it's a nice kind of a achievement every at the end of every day. Like for your work, you you, you can work. You have to work really hard, but you're kind of constantly being. It's being highlighted what you are doing. It's not like a thankless task or anything like that. And um, yeah, just just loved it and got on a spiral with it and worked my way through news. Which was I never thought I'd do because I hate I had no interest in news and I made my breakthrough through that and then eventually found my way back into sport. So um, yeah, it definitely wasn't a tradition. I remember the interview for the Irish Times and I remember asking my my housemate who was who had done the course with me. I was like, you know, who do I say if they ask me like who's my favorite journalist in there? Like because sure I didn't even read newspapers or. You know, I, I write sport articles, but I wouldn't even know who they were. Like, I just loved sport and I loved reading, but I wasn't a newspaper nerd. I wasn't like a journalist fan. And I honestly think I was the only person in my course who was like that. Like, everyone in there, I think they literally had always wanted to be journalists. So, um, yeah, so it's not your normal answer for how did I, <laughs> when did I decide I wanted to be a journalist? Um, and I suppose just to, just to wrap it up, what advice would you give to, we say, young guys who are, who are thinking of look, I won't mind going down the route of journalism, but are kind of put you know stepping away from it because their parents might be saying, you know, there's no jobs in that, or or, or you know, there's no future in that. Um, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, like honestly, if if you if you decide what you want to do and you you go after it, like there's nothing. Like I I didn't think of. I honestly didn't think about, um, I had the, the safety net, I suppose, when I was starting off my career, I was in college, so I wasn't needing to make money for bills right now. I was already in college. Um, so everything was a bonus at the beginning. But like, if you work hard enough and you don't focus too much on you know, money or jobs or anything like that, and you just give it everything and you enjoy it, like you, I, I think any job is that, that, you know, that you know that suits your, your skill set. Um, is achievable. I think for journalism in particular, you know, I always say you've got to, you've really got to put yourself out there. 
the amount of people who I, you know, geez, if I get a penny for the amount of people you meet on a night out or, you know, who'd say, oh, I want to be a journalist. Can I take your, your email or your number and I'll contact you? And I say, yeah, no bother. Give me a call. I'll give you help or whatever. Should none of them ever call. Like, none of them ever. And anyone who ever does, you know, absolutely no problem helping. But they just don't. And, and that's the first sign that it's not for, like, you need to be on, you need to be able to hound and chase and really want it, like, because if you want a story, you're hounding people, you're chasing people. Um, and you need to be really committed to it. And, and also the other thing is, like, I find what, which suited me to an extent was that when these people grow up wanting to be a journalist so badly, they almost need, they almost know exactly the type of journalist they want to be. And nothing else, they'll accept nothing else. And so you can't come into an industry like that. You have to just take what's, I remember getting a good piece of advice actually from a person over in America, which said like, you'll always find work when you're in work. Like just literally, I, I started off and I just took everything. I never even looked for money. I never even invoiced for half the work I did. I just took everything. And I was working in all sorts of news, current affairs, you name it, like every sort of a section I wrote in just to find my way out of there. And I didn't have an, an, an actual plan of finding my way out of there, but I eventually got out. So my advice would be just to, to not be too picky on what you're going to do, but just work. Yeah. Work really hard. And, and, uh, and it'll find its way out. Be clever, like, but it'll, it'll, you'll find your way. Perfect, perfect. Look, we'll, uh, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. And look, thanks very much for taking time out to come on and an inside view. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Okay, so that marks the end of our second episode. I hope you all enjoyed it and we'll get something or take something away from our chat with Eamon. Um, you can definitely hear how, how he spoke about his career to date, how motivated he is and determined he is and he has a great knowledge of sports in general um, and I really really enjoyed having him on the podcast and again look thanks very much Eamon for coming on. Uh, look if any of you out there have any stories uh, from being part of a team whether it's a sports team or a corporate team please do get in contact with us. Again everything will be, be kept confidential so don't be worrying about that. You can get in contact with us on any of the social media channels or if you want, you can drop us an email, info at ontheballteambuilding.com. Please be safe, take care, and remember, create and fame. Talk to you all soon.